Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And I'm here to tell you that by the end of this live stream today, this interview, you will have shared this out many times because you're going to fall in love with my guest. She is amazing. Her name is Joy Donnell. And I met her through Mark Victor Hansen and Xavier Eichren Coder. And I am so excited to have her on today. Wait until you experience the energy of joy. Oh, I like that. That, that could be a book title for her. Anyway, listen, share this out. Go ahead and share it out to everybody you know. Let's get a bunch of people on here and get ready to have your life changed today with Joy Donnell. We'll be right back. And we are back. Let me bring Joy on the show. Joy, welcome to the show. Oh, it's so great to be. I mean, we are actually going to get to really talk to each other this time, Ken. I know. I'm so excited <laughs> about that. I'm very excited about that. We can mention Reverend Ike, but this has nothing to do with Reverend Ike today. Yeah. It well. But I guess a little bit of that is always with us from the right. from that introduction, that space that we shared. But yes, this yeah. is about that and so much more. I'm I'm side note, I'm like addicted to watching watching Reverend Ike videos now. Um it's so powerful. It really is. It is. I mean, charisma, right? Like it is a spiritual technology. So it is. it is. So, so Joy, listen, I started this show five and a half years ago, maybe interviewed over 550 celebrities and entrepreneurs. And I am, um, I'm thoroughly convinced that the world is healed by hearing other people's stories about how they went through the crap, came out of it, rose like the phoenix from the ashes and created a beautiful life as a result. So I'm excited because there is no way that you haven't had some crap in your life. <laughs> that is an understatement. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, I'm even going through it right now. I'm going through it this morning, but I'm wow. here. I'm here and I'm present, you know, and I'm uh, eternally grateful for the fact that I get to share space where in places I didn't even know existed, you know, and I, I follow what my sacral energy, you know, tells me, guides me to trust, you know, so when something is coming up, regardless of whatever else is going on, if I get a, Ooh, or a, Hmm, that's usually a, an opportunity, that's an invitation for me to go ahead and accept and explore. And if I get a, mm, that's usually a, nah, 
So I just go ahead and trust that and I go with the flow of it and it never steers me the wrong way. Well, I'm really grateful you didn't get a nah this time. <laughs> Maybe by the end of it, you'll be like, I should have said nah. I'm kidding. <laughs> so listen, I, 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 like, I like to start with um, you kind of sharing with everybody where you were born and raised. Tell everybody a little bit about where it all began for you. Hmm. Well, I don't usually talk about this, you know, uh, <laughs> in public like this. Um, I have not had a, what people would call a linear journey or mm -hmm. a logical journey. And it's probably because I didn't really seek to have a logical life. You know, I grew up in a place called Macon, Georgia. And in a lot of ways, it was a great place to grow up and it was a great place to leave. I experienced so many moments of magic and mysticism. You know, there's one of the highest concentrations of cherry blossom trees in the United States. So I got introduced to things like Sakura. I got introduced to uh, cultures across the ocean, Japanese cultures, people would come to visit, you know, for Sakura. Uh, I, you know, was able to play outside. I climbed trees. I found branches that perfectly fit the, you know, the curves of my body. And I would just read inside of the tree. And wow, it was amazing. Right. And there were so many moments in my life that a lot of people would look at as, oh, extraordinary, uh, you know, not accessible, but it was thoroughly accessible to me. Um, both of my parents uh, are Jim Crow survivors. Uh, you know, it's one of the things that we talked about, you know, before, and they were really determined to provide a life uh, for my brother and I that was um, a lot more accessible than what they had experienced, of course, with all the limitations that came with the separatism that was imposed upon them. And uh, we just, we traveled extensively. They, my dad was aeronautical engineer, but uh, he and my mom also got a business together um, selling- wow. Amway, of all things, one of my cousins was very successful wow. uh, with that too, and brought them in. And you know, I'm doing things like I'm—I guess I was about six years old, and I'm hanging out with Zig Ziglar. Uh, didn't know who Zig Ziglar was. Didn't really—I just thought he had a cool name. He's teaching me how to play billiards in the Fountain Blue. You know, wow. but then I go back to Macon, Georgia, and weird things started happening. Can, can, so can I can I ask you? I'm I, I'm so afraid to ask this question because mm -hmm. I know it's going to show that I am an ignorant fool. Um, I'm kidding. I'm not. I don't know who Jim Crow is. Y'all were talking about Ooh. Jim Crow, and I have no like. And now my entire audience probably just unsubscribed from me. But I, I've heard the name, obviously, but I don't I don't know what that means. Who's you know Jim Crow? So have you seen the photos? I don't know how old you are, Ken. Do you 55, look 55. OK, so you I don't really know if you like, you know, saw the remnants of segregation uh, in the South. But I'm okay. sure you've seen at some point yeah. like there was a water fountain that was labeled white versus black. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And this whole like uh, this whole system of separatism, uh, separatism. 
So they called it Jim Crow laws. And these were the laws that were put in place. This is the reason why Martin Luther King Jr. was marching. This is why they beat them up on the bridge on Selma. The bridge that they were marching over on Selma was named after a Klansman and is still named after a Klansman to this day, right? He was the leader of the, you know, of the Klan uh, in Alabama. And so these were very systemic laws put into place that made sure that black bodies had to be over here while white bodies were allowed to be over there. You could not drink from the same water fountain. Your body could not even touch the pool water uh, because the whole idea, the storyline was that your body was, your black body was somehow contaminated, diseased, but then you were also supposed to come over to the white person's house and help them raise their children and cook for their family. So that doesn't make any sense, right? But you need to go to a separate school. You need to live over there. And this was also, you know, like part of why the uh, we have words like redlining and greenlining because the FHA actually put into place when they uh, came up with the home loans. They said that they would only, only give a home loan in a neighborhood that was green-lined. And being green-lined meant that it was it had a racially restrictive covenant, a uh, racially restricted warranty in uh, in its in its warranty deed, covenant in its warranty deed. I said that all wrong. Let me say it again. A racially restrictive covenant in the warranty deed. So on so many warranty deeds throughout this country, regardless of what state you're in, actually. It's like 23 states had Jim Crow laws, but all of them practiced Jim Crow in some way, shape, form, or function. If you look at actually the warranty deed of the house, if the house is old enough, it says on the warranty deed that the house can never be owned by anybody of Semitic descent, African descent, Asian descent, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, uh, right. So they said it could own these houses could only be owned by white people. And if a white person decided that they wanted to sell their house to a black person or a Jewish person or an Asian person at that time, the original contractor of the house could actually seize the house back, sue them into bankruptcy um, and basically quash the sale of the house. So this was a very entrenched wow. thing. And that's why when I was talking about Jim Crow before, I was saying that, you know, it, it is a terraforming agent, right? Like this was something that was put into the laws and the policies, the way that people live their lives, restricted personal freedoms and made sure too, that it was also trying to terraform your spirit. It was terraforming the land around you. It was changing the actual landscape. And that was what my parents lived through. Wow. And they, you know, in one generation made huge, 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 I mean, amazing uh, gains with, uh, with what they did. And as a result, we moved into a neighborhood that had never had people like us in it. And... Wow. Like I said, I'm one day I'm hanging out with Zig Ziglar and the next night I'm seeing these like little beautiful yellow lights twinkling outside of my window. And I'm seven years old and I'm thinking, what this fairies, you know, like, oh, no, that's silly, that's silly, that's silly, but it could be magic. So what if it's fairies, right? And I take my fingers and I part the blinds and I see fire on the lawn 
And I look closer and there is a cross burning on the lawn. And then I hear my mom like yelling, my brother pulls me away from the window. Uh, my dad has a hose and he puts the you know fire out. And this was kind of the start of this uh, continual domestic terrorism that we were experiencing because we seemed out of place. But the wow. people who were enacting it kept getting caught, Ken. And guess what? It wasn't grown people, it was teenagers. So imagine what are the stories that they had heard because they didn't know anything about the kind of things that they were doing. Where did they learn and internalize these stories that hijacked their imaginations to the point where they were trying to terrorize a family that they didn't even know simply because they were existing? How, uh, uh, thank you for explaining that to me. Um, wow. I assume Jim Crow is a person's name, somebody that actually Jim Crow existed. was a minstrel character. So during a the what? vaudeville days, Jim Crow was a minstrel character, a, a, a white played by a white actor in blackface that oh. acted in some of the most horrendous stereotypical ways possible about black bodies. And so that's who the, the laws were named after. Wow. <laughs> How do, how do you, I don't even know how to say this. How do you grow up with that, experience that? It, it chokes me up. Like I can't even, I, I cannot, I can't, there's not a cell in my body that can relate to that. Like that form of stupidity, ignorance, and hatred that's just, how do you grow up, become an adult, and not just despise the Caucasian race? I mean, I, I, I don't know how, like, that just blows my mind. I, I cannot imagine that. I can't, um, nobody, no, the, most people cannot imagine that. How do you not grow up, how do you get over that? Well, I don't know how it works for other people, but for me, it started with a divine spark of defiance. Mm. I looked at what I was experiencing and I had formed my personality before I really knew what racism was or said any of the isms. Um, so I got a chance to go ahead and really connect with what I felt was valuable in life. I have a love for life and amor fati. I have a, 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 a true love for nature, for the planet that houses us. And when I heard what was being told to me, I just couldn't accept it, it didn't make any sense. That ego, which we constantly are so down on our egos, but that ego said to me, no. <laughs> that ego said to me, no, you deserve to be here. You deserve to exist. You don't have to um, you know, accept this, this restriction. You don't have to accept this lie. And I started looking at the media, you know, like I, uh, I work in the media now, right? You know, I'm very much in, in the media space, but I started noticing the stories that were coming toward me. 
And I can't, I'm not gonna sit here and can and act like I'm not traumatized, you know, from it. That right. did not traumatize me. Uh, but I don't look at it as something that I have to overcome, right? Like I don't have to climb over it or power right. through it type of thing. It's part of my story. And I, I get to decide how I want to grow in spite of the, from that, from that experience, what do I want to do with it? You know, so yeah. that was a, you know, a lot of it for me. And as I got more entrenched in, in what I really wanted my life to be about, I found myself gravitating toward anti-oppression work. I found myself gravitating toward liberation and you cannot have liberation as your focus. You cannot center liberation without joy as the nucleus. If joy is not the nucleus, then what are you doing it for? And joy is part of love. So as much as it is to be like, oh man, it's just all about love. You know, I don't mean it in this kind of platitude way, but at the end of the day, if we are not talking about love, what are we talking about? Right. The, Nikki Giovanni says the last poem will be a love poem. And I believe that because after all the wars are done, the, sh the sun is still shining. The bird is still singing. You still have people, places, things that you love. Right. Yeah. So part of what, you know, I was saying about growing up in Macon, and I have a lot of feelings about it, is that I had a love for the environment that I lost because some other things showed up. I had to grieve that. Grief is love with nowhere to go. Right. Yeah. But it didn't mean that the love died and that energy is still abundant and flowing within me. And so I get to do other things with it. I get to redirect it. And this is part of why I am so centered on stories, why I focus on them so much. Uh, as a storyteller, I also had to look at the stories that I've told myself, the stories I've told myself about myself, the ways that I got fragmented from the traumas that I experienced, right? What I actually seek to heal within me, um, how I want to share that. So that it's not just me sharing a trauma response in the worst ways possible, but me sharing the trauma response in some of the best ways possible. And I start to look at life and think probably everything that we do is a trauma response. But the question is, are we having post-traumatic atrophy or are we having post-traumatic growth? Mm. Are we the seed bursting open? That's very violent when you actually look at it it looks horrible. It looks like the seed is being destroyed, but yeah. it's actually transforming. And so if you notice, even when I was talking about expecting fairies outside of my window, yeah. I was expecting trans something transformational. And I got it, just not in the way I was expecting. Okay, so... You have a, and I possess this as well, a, a unique ability to um, reframe negativity. I'll just, I, there are much harsher words I could use than negativity, but you have this, the, it, it seems like you have this ability to reframe it and, and make it something that is, um, positive i mean what's not positive about fairies 
Well, right. you have to be careful when you make deals with them. But <laughs> <laughs> right, right. They're tricky. Right, but and they're but you, you, you've, you've been. A, I can tell that you can. You have this ability to reframe the the negative situations. What do you think? Because not everybody has that. As you already know, and I already know, there are people that go through similar situations um, in life that that don't handle it the same way that you've handled it or that I've handled negativity. Um, what do you think separates you? I, I I don't believe in a God that shows favoritism. Like I, I've heard I've heard people say Jewish people are the chosen people, and I'm like. Yeah, you know, I I have a lot of Jewish friends. I, I I don't know about that, you know, but um I I don't I don't believe that God is is a favoritism God. But what what do you think that you what separates you from the people who are re reacting to situations that are similar in an adverse fashion? Some of what has given me the, you know, spaciousness has actually been spaciousness. You know, it, it, I have had access to uh, education, to leisure. Um, I was able to grab whatever book I wanted to grab. I, I read the dictionary. You know, like my parents bought encyclopedia sets for me to have at home. I would go to the mm -hmm. library, I would read. Okay. So like I was, I was that kid, I would read yeah. the thing and then I would I would read the book. I would be in the library and look, read the reference book. And then there would be something sub-referenced and I would request the ref, the book that was sub-referenced and have wow. to wait like a month sometimes for it to arrive from Duke or Cornell or something like that. And then I would read that in the reference section of the library because I couldn't check it out because it was such a, you know, like a valuable book. And, wow. I, and I see that to this day, you know, a lot of the things that are not shared with with most people what they're not getting in terms of their education it's in a book that costs two thousand dollars if you can find it on amazon right uh or a books or something like that it's a very expensive book and i was able to you know kind of assess that because i've always been an autodidact i don't think that it necessarily makes me special i just have certain talents that I actually got the spaciousness to turn into skills as well as talent. And I appreciate that. I've kind of always been able to talk like this to some extent. So there was a teacher that was like, put that kid up on the stage and you know, put the microphone in front of them. And right. I wasn't really being asked if I wanted to go on stage and speak. It was more like inevitability that I was just supposed to do this. So I got comfortable with speaking to large rooms of people, to small rooms of people. Communication is kind of one of my skills I can put toward collective liberation. And I appreciate uh, this, this skill and this gift. I write, I talk. And again, I, I tell stories and I suss them out. And I don't believe in favoritism either. I don't think that it has uh, made me superior. I don't think that anyone's superior. I don't think I'm supposed to do any of this by myself. You know, I think you're supposed to have community. community we have so many birthrights because love is the highest vibration. We have so many birthrights that come from love and community is one of those birthrights that we that we have. Courage mm -hmm. is that, self-compassion is that. You know, so um, even with the, the reframing, and a lot of it has just been that I got comfortable in the light and the darkness. 
darkness gets a bad rep, but if you're in bright, bright, bright sunlight, there's a lot of things you cannot see in the landscape, what's right in front of your eyes. If you have the ability to see, you won't be able to make out certain details because it's so bright, you cannot see. But if you turn your head a little bit, get a little bit of shadow in there, a little bit of darkness, let your eyes adjust, you start mm. to see these details that you didn't know were there before. It gets called shadow work and all this other stuff. Uh, Lola Bakari, who is uh, one of my friends on LinkedIn, she was talking the other day about how, you know, your talent, your greatest gift is also sometimes your greatest weakness, right? Mm -hmm. And you kind of have to learn how to reconcile that. And I said, yeah. And, and I had that too. That was part of my journey. Right. What helped me reconcile it was the day that I realized I had really high self-esteem and very low self-compassion. Took me by surprise. Whoa. And of course I had really high self-esteem and very low self-compassion because my parents gave me the right message. They said, you can go out, you can be everything you want to be. Just be faster, stronger, <laughs> you know, work three times as hard. Right. Like, you know, recognize the environment that you're in, be exceptional. And I was a smart kid. I was a clever kid. So being exceptional was easy. But then it kind of became my resting state always and never listening to my body, never trusting my body, saying things that were not the truth about where I was or how I was feeling. But my body was never lying to me. My body was always telling me the truth. But I have been told the story, like probably so many of us have, supposed to be mind over matter, right? You are your own worst enemy. You have to conquer yourself. All of this war language toward me. Yeah. When I realized I didn't have a lot of self-compassion and I needed to nurture my self-compassion, that was when the whole universe started opening up to me. And not just the universe outside of me, the universe within me, the microbiome in my gut, the, the, the microorganisms at the base of my brain, the, the cells, the brain cells in my heart, right? Like my throat chakra, everything started making sense. The universe that I carry around on my skin, the largest organ on my body, that so many messages in this world tried to tell me that was wrong. And I should abandon. But here I am, a whole ecosystem walking around all the time, an ecosystem inside of an ecosystem, a universe inside of a universe. And I started thinking, what if I'm not my own worst enemy? What if every part of me actually loves me? What if every part of me is rooting for me? Even my fears, right? Even my ego, when my ego is tripping, it's because it remembers when we did that thing back when we were eight years old and we got dragged and we don't want to get dragged like that again, girl. So don't do it. But I'd be right. like, hey, sit down. I got us. Okay. It's cool. I'm going to take that into account. Yes. I remember the lesson. Hopefully we're not going to get dragged again. If we do, I'm a little older now. I'm wiser now. We'll be able to figure it out. We'll be okay. Right. And so all of that within me, the fears, the glory, the triumph, the ego, all of that, the selfishness, everything is all just part of my collective thought process toward becoming myself. And self-compassion was really that spiritual technology for me that opened myself up in that way and be able to better use my creativity, 
be able to tell stories better, be able to better dissect the stories that I tell myself about myself so that the stories that I'm speaking out to other people that I'm writing, um, that I'm you know, sharing are more rooted in the love that I actually want to perpetuate. Wow. Okay, I want to unpack a couple of things. When you, so you, did you grow up your entire childhood in Macon? Yes. Okay, so you we went traveled to high a lot, school. but yes, Macon was home base. Okay, yeah. you graduated from high school in Macon. Yes. And then you went to college. Mm-hmm. I graduated, and and actually, I volunteered every year with the Special Olympics to the point where the regional director wrote my college recommendation. Oh <laughs> you know, I went to wow. William and Mary in Virginia. So the second oldest college wow. in the country wow. uh, where Thomas Jefferson went to school. And uh, we always say that like, uh, you know, he had to start UVA because his kids couldn't get into William and Mary. Uh, you know, so I went to William and Mary. Uh, I studied English literature. I studied Japanese cultural studies because I had been introduced to Japanese culture again through the cherry blossom trees that were Do abundant. Do you speak Japanese? Uh, トキドキ。なんですよ。あ、私は実ね。ね。はい。はい。わお。そう、そう、そうゆう、そう、ゆうがやるバチュラーズディグリーエン。イングリッシュリテラチャー。イングリッシュリテラチャー。はい。はい。
I studied all of that. I studied the way that a message came from not really being known to a lot of people knowing it, right? Like, how does it become ubiquitous? How can something that isn't even true be so well told that people believe it? People think that the water flushes down the toilet in the opposite direction in Australia. It doesn't. But it's been told so many times that it's become truth. It's got truthiness to it. It's become a truth. Are you sure? Are you sure it doesn't? I'm sure it doesn't. <laughs> Dang it. You're a myth buster today. Okay. It's like, but the story has been told so much that people believe and will stand up and say it with complete conviction because right. they only know the story they haven't actually been to australia they you know they just know what they've been told and that is so much of what boils down to us most of the things we know are the stories that have been told to us and we either know it from actual lived experience or we know the story of it that's kind of the way that it is and that you know all that those years in in media working that doing a pr i've worked in entertainment uh, uh and luxury so two very different things, right? Entertainment wants a mass audience. Luxury at the time when I was doing it wanted a very niche audience. And that juxtaposition taught me everything I needed to know about the media system, like mm. and how it works and what it does. Uh, and then I basically launched uh, my own media platform. So I decided to be entrepreneurial, uh, wow. did not have enough money to launch a media platform. So got dragged, right. But had a lot of amazing wins, like really perfected being able to do things like branded content campaigns. So that's when like a piece of a storyline is put out that's, uh, sponsored by a branded entity corporation or something like that. And you basically produce the content for them, push it out and it's 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 marketing but it doesn't look like marketing right it's very right. entertaining it's so entertaining that people share it and you know put it out because it's just got that entertainment factor to it right and so we perfected being able to get like a few billion media impressions off of a branded content campaign the first one that we did that uh that successfully did that that way we only spent 153 dollars and 20 26 cents, $153.26 on an advertising campaign on Facebook. And it wow. ended up getting 3 billion uh, media impressions. 3 and like billion two, with a B? 3 billion. Three billion. Wow. It got covered by Vogue. It got covered by BuzzFeed. It got covered by like everybody. Um, and it got like 250 million social media impressions, right? And so at that point, I started realizing that I was also producing. Like I was a producer. Yeah. Uh, I had started doing more public speaking because people were asking me to share space in that way. And I had to kind of let go of who I had been all the way up until this point and step into a new version of myself again. Right. Um, and as I started doing more producing, working on documentaries, shorts, uh, and things of that nature, and doing more writing, I've in, I found myself because it's a spiral, yeah. found myself like spiraling right back to a lot of those spaces that I was in, uh, a lot of that, the, the, the things that I had uh, been you know, confronted with and invited to work through when I was a little itty bitty girl. Wow. And um, that kind of became a lot of my focus too in relation to what I ended up creating. I thought for myself, 
when I was seven years old, when I was nine years old, when I was 10 years old, what, what, what is it that I would have needed? When I was 15, what is it that I would have needed? Even now, when I was 20, what is it that I would have needed? Um, mm. And eventually I got the gumption to write a book and not just a little book, a whole book. And, and I put it out show, myself. Show, show everybody, show everybody your book. Okay. This was the first book that I put out. It's called Beyond Brand. Mm. It's called Beyond Brand. Look how thick it is. Wow. <laughs> wow. On the back, it says, you're human. You deserve to become more than a brand. Live your legacy. That's why I called it Beyond Brand, because it's not really about branding per se. It's about more than that. But brand has started mm. to become such a ubiquitous catchphrase thing that I had to put brand in the title just to be able to drop people into how I wanted to redirect the stream of energy. Yeah. Right. Um, and wow. Ken, let me go back for a second. So I was doing a ton of speaking engagements and I kept getting asked the same question. I dismissed it the first couple of times. The question was, how do I maintain my authenticity as I build my personal brand? Now, the first time I got asked this question, I had the response of like, just be authentic. It's like asking me, right. how do I plan to be spontaneous? Should I schedule it at two o'clock in the afternoon? Like, no, right? <laughs> you are either spontaneous or you're not. You're either right. authentic or you're not, right? right? So I didn't get it. So it was like, I don't know, the messaging, the universe was like, okay, Joy was obviously too caught up in herself to catch it the first time. So let's have her get asked it again. So I get mm. asked the second time. I had the same response. On the third time, I said, oh, wait, this is a pattern. What am I missing? What am I not catching on to? And so I actually threw a question. I could do a question back out to the person who had asked me. And I said, let me ask you this. What do you want your cultural legacy to be? When you are no longer here, when you've been gone, and if your name is still evoked, what do you want your name to be evoked for? Mm. And like magic, all of those questions about authenticity just evaporated. Yep. At that point, I started letting that Q&A that was coming from these audiences when I was speaking on panels and doing keynotes and stuff like that, Help me really shape the landscape of what was going on because full transparency, I was one of the people who was quit, who was really pressuring folks, you better get your personal brand together. We got all this social media. You don't have your personal brand. I don't know what you're going to do. Like personal brand, personal brand, personal brand. And I did not understand what the psycho-spiritual effect of that was going to be on people when I was saying it. I didn't understand that we are so fragmented already and asking people to only think about themselves as a brand, something that can be whittled down so that they're easily in one bite consumed is not necessarily yeah. the best thing for everyone. Some people can still thrive, have a personal brand and still be okay. Some people are so artistic in their soul and their spirit, they shift and move so much. They need something that's more far reaching. And on top of that, all of the social media around us, and I didn't see anyone asking us, how do you feel about it? Mm. How does all this demand to become a content creator or a content distributor make you actually feel? 
Is it having an impact on your joy, your inner joy? Is it having a, an impact on how connected you feel to yourself? Do you feel even more disconnected perhaps than you felt before? So I decided to write Beyond Brand as an invitation to mm. not just explore that within yourself, really like ask yourself, what do you want your cultural legacy to be? What is it that you want to live as well as leave within the mm. media if you're gonna participate in the media system? But also to really map out what the media system is. And whether people like this or not, media systems, the modern media system that we have was crafted really in terms of war communication. It is about polarization, right? It is about positioning. It is about opposition. It is yeah. not this scale of balance like we like to think where it's like, oh, this is rising, that's up, that's up. No, it's actually a fulcrum effect. Two yeah. things pushing against each other with equal might. And if one pushes too hard, then the other topples. That's the kind of balance that is in place. And if you start to understand that, then again, you start to understand that PR was perfected as a tool for that. And that even brand, to some extent, came up out of that. The first brands were empires, right? The first brands yeah. were kings and queens and yeah. rulers. Uh, you know, you'd had Alexander the Great who put the gods on the on the money so that you could see that his kingdom, his empire was connected to the divine. But then you had Caesar who said, forget Zeus or Hercules, I'm gonna put meat on the money, right? right. right. <laughs> and then Napoleon came along and said, you know what, I'm gonna do the same thing. I'm a Caesar, I'm a czar in my own right. Uh, let me go ahead and put myself on the money, right? So that is brand, that is PR and brand is really a fiscal entity. It's a public image that maintains itself as a fiscal energy. And PR goes into maintaining that brand as a fiscal energy through the stories that are told and sold. You know, so that's what I basically wanted to map out for people within Beyond Brand and say, now that you understand the water that you're in, do you just want to float within it? Do you want to try to swim up it or would you like to explore redirecting it in what ways you need to to go ahead and irrigate whatever fields you're trying to build over here? And it's always down to a personal choice. I, I think I love what you're talking. I teach I teach parts of this. I teach live streaming and I teach podcasting. Mm -hmm. And I've spoken on many stages and I've said this this one thing. And this was a download that came to me as I was preparing a speech and I was like, Wow. Thank you. Um, you know, I've said to people and I just said that I had an event this past weekend and I said it to everybody in the room. I said, if ABC, NBC, CBS and Fox all got together and came to you and said, hey, here in your local market of Washington, D.C. or whatever it may be, um, we we love your content so much that we've decided we're going to let you distribute it for free on all of the networks 24 hours a day anytime you want and 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 here's the caveats number one it has to be a live stream and number two you can't pay us a dime it's free would you say no to that and i've never had a business owner say yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't want to do that because like you'd be an idiot you'd win the dumbest business owner of the year award right 
So, so, but I, yeah. I, and I, I follow it with this and I say, yet Facebook, just Facebook, let's not even talk about YouTube and Twitter yeah. and all of the others. Just Facebook is probably a thousand times bigger than all those stations combined in your local market and people are ignoring it. They're not doing yeah. live streams. They're not doing podcasts. They're not doing what I'm, what you and I are sitting here doing right now. Because all I have to do is throw a little bit of money behind this video and mm -hmm. boost it and push it out there. And now we've got millions and millions and millions of viewers. So I think, I think everything you're talking about is so brilliant. But I also think that the playing field has been completely leveled. Anybody can do it. Anybody. Do you Look. agree with that? Am I wrong? Yes, this is part of why I got excited when I saw social media. Like, and yes, I acknowledge all of the things that have come with social media. The the ways that you know a lot of teenagers are experiencing depression because they're uh, getting caught up in all of the highlight reels that are being shown to them from other people's lives and things like that. But regardless of that, I still see so much wonder and so much amazement, I have taken control of my algorithm. Like I curated my feed, it. okay? Like if you, um, don't, if you don't take control of the algorithm, the algorithm will take control of you, okay? So. <laughs> come on, I'm telling you, I literally just said something very similar to that. I love that, wow. It, 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 it is the truth of it. So no, I'm, I'll go ahead and I want a certain amount of, joy and wonder, you know, like an, and bliss on my feet. So I find those things. I have Ethiopian girls skateboarding, <laughs> you know, like I've got, uh, you know, like beautiful images of people like deep water, you know, diving and, and things yeah. like that. And then I also have the news that I need that I want to stay on top of. And I curate it in a way that I keep my spirit balanced again for me. And, you know, this is very high priestessy of me in that regard, but to hold the light and the dark at the same time, that is to hold the world. To, even within the natural world, it's not like everything is just roses. Roses have thorns. You know, it's like I'm, I'm out here in LA. I, the other day I was seeing the ducks and one of the ducks was like sitting there doing all this weird stuff in the water. And I realized it was trying to drown the other duck. The other duck popped up, looked all bushwhacked because the what? duck was drowning the other duck, you know? So it's not like nature is just all walks through a field of lavender, you know, right. the, there is everything going on. And even with the manufactured world that's floating over it, I see, I look for the opportunities within the space. And that is really mm -hmm. why I wrote, you know, like Beyond Brand again, to kind of ask this question, invite you to still be at home within your body, invite you to not be so caught up in constraints around your personal brand that what you put into place stops being your play playground and starts being your prison. I don't think that that's what you came here to do. I doubt that you'll be on your deathbed saying, I wish I'd had a stronger brand. <laughs> you know, like, I don't think that that's what Probably not. you're going to really be thinking about when all is said and done. You know, so again, for me, this was kind of that introduction 
into the somatic healing, right? Into like the, the mind, body, spirit, nature healing to just take a second and say, what even is this? And what do you want to do with it? And then that, after that, that led to kind of my second book, which was now about um, how to deepen that work of joy. How show, to show them your book? Show them your second book too. Come on, let's let's. So everybody go get get a called, copy of his book. <laughs> the second book is called oh, "Show Us Your Fire." That's beautiful. And on the back, it says, one day I realized I can journey into the deepest despair in my mind and return with something beautiful. Mm. So again, this is, well, this is so many things. The Show Us Your Fire is poetry um, and prose and meditations centered on our birthright to self-compassion. Because again, that was a lot of the journey for me when I started to reclaim my self-compassion, deepen it, nurture it, I realized that it was my birthright all along. And I know you asked earlier kind of about like, how do you reconcile? How do you not just hate the world? How do you not just hate, you know, races of people? The thing is that, and I will preface this a little bit, you know, I think, I think because I think there is a, a Black woman poetic tradition too. Like there are canons inside of canons. Right. And black poets especially imagine futures. Yeah. But black women poets have often had to look into the darkness and imagine futures. I found a very strong mystical tradition within black American women from Sojourner Truth to Harriet Tubman, to Ruby Sales. Um, I found this through a, a professor named Joy Bostick. So she's Joy also. And she had written That's a book, awesome. right, right? And she had yeah. written a book about African-American female mysticism. And so as these, these words and these, uh, these poems started coming to me, I remember I was like, where is this coming from? And I came across Joy's book, Joy, Joy Bostick's book, and realized that, oh, wait, this is actually rooted in a tradition that, you know, there are stories about how Harriet Tubman would go into these spells. And when she, she couldn't be wakened from them. And when she woke up from them, she knew the exact route of escape. And you know, Harriet Tubman's story, you know, she didn't yeah. get caught. They didn't get caught. So right. it was like, she went into these mystical realms. And when you really look at the beauty of the world, you go out into you know, the nature and you pull down a leaf off of the tree and you notice that the veins in the leaf look like the veins in the back of your hand. You notice that there is something natural about you, that you have nature and you are of nature, regardless of whatever thing is trying to tell you that you aren't. That is a mystical experience. And that form of mysticism becomes resistance resistance to the things that are trying to alter your world, alter your connection to life and the cosmos, that are trying to come in as a technology that changes the way that you interact with the space, that tries to come in as a terraforming agent and change the landscape of this space. So a lot, so much of Black American literature, so much of Black American poetics and Black women poetics on, uh, on top of that has been looking into that space and going beyond 
the threshold of all those lies to the beauty that is eternal that has always existed. Looking at the absurdity that is being handed to you and finding the ineffable and giving it poetry, right? And realizing right. that it is within you always and it is your birthright. And that's what I talk about in Show Us Your Fire, you know, wow. and um, I got very lucky that I got so much, you know, support when it came out with it. It actually hit number one uh, bestseller under Black and African-American poetry on Amazon, you know, wow. and this was, again, me just, just trying to figure out if I could even sit down and create things like this. But now I've created two books with permissionless leverage. Yeah. I didn't have to wait for someone to say that it was okay. I just went ahead and did the thing. And each time I've, I've dedicated these books to people in a way that the love that I focused on, I focused on it not to be morbid with the sense of if this, if I were to leave, and this is the last thing that I left them, would all the love that I feel for them keep carrying through on the pages? So that's how I kind of channel things when I'm, you know, getting these downloads, when I'm trying to articulate this complexity into something that's simple, right? That is something that is, uh, you know, the universal truth, whether you have personally experienced it or not. Yeah. Uh, that's what I'm aiming to do. I'm, I'm in that love energy, because again, if it's not about love, then what is this about? You know, like if I'm not here to to do that from the bi full biometric field of my heart, then what am I actually doing? I, I, wow. So I, I sit here and I think about like in my first book I wrote um, and, and I think it was Dr. Wayne Dyer that I originally mm -hmm. read this from who I just adore his work. Um, but it is pain is the predecessor of all wisdom and and typically for me i can't i can't gain any sort of wisdom or knowledge without it being my own pain <laughs> like i can watch somebody else's pain like hey wow he just touched that burner and got the crap burnout let me see i'll bet it's different for me um and you know but i i think that that's what has driven you much like I've experienced it's it's driven you to the 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 point of love is the only option like there's mm -hmm. all the hatred and violence and 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 uh, that we all can experience and do experience as human beings that it, it doesn't it doesn't work it's like that what's that movie where the computer at the end is like destroying planet earth and and then it realize it's like it realizes hey this is a this doesn't work out it destroys the entire planet um so it stops oh i don't know this movie can what's the movie? <laughs> it's so good it, i forget what the movie was called but okay it, it starts generating scenarios it's not actually uh -huh. doing it it's just okay yeah but anyway so i i love everything that you are and and are are talking about it's it's amazing would you hold your books up again so everybody can see both of them and i want everybody watching to go get 
Joy Donnell, D-O-N-N-E-L-L. If you're listening on the podcast networks, it's Joy as her first name. If you can't spell that, we need to have a different conversation. Um, Donnell is D-O-N-N-E-L-L. And then um, her first book is Beyond Brand. Second book is Show Us Your Fire. And I absolutely love that second book title. I love, love, love it. I have I have a couple of other questions I want to ask you real fast um, that I ask every guest this one especially. You have experienced a lot of life um, and and I know it's not always been a bed of roses, so to speak. You, you've felt a lot of thorns along the way. In your opinion, and I believe that 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 money is related to happiness because I've been I've been broken homeless and I've been wealthy and broken homeless sucks like it just is no fun. So like, what do you think holds people back from experiencing real freedom and joy? and and happiness and financial wealth and abundance and all of the things what do you think is stopping people from having it all well you know to ken i mean this is going to be so biased because of my work but i do think that the systems that we operate in have something to do with it you know and that is why i look at those systems you know we we are self-made and we are socially made whether we want to believe it or not, right? You can yep. take someone who is thinks that they are a complete pacifist and put them in a highly violent environment and they might turn into a, a cold stone killer. Right, right? Yep. Because that environment switched it up. And without you know, the, the supports, you have Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yep. So we know that like you need your root needs met. You do have basic human needs of water and shelter and clothing. And when you don't have that, when you can't get that going, it takes up so much of your energy. It sucks everything. The, the sun rises and sets on that. And some of the violence in the environments that people occupy are so strong that they are starting to internalize that violence. This is part of why I talk about psycho-spiritual. We, maybe you're familiar with psycho-physical. You might not be, but I'll give you an example. Like if you're hiking through the, you know, on a, a kind of trail and there's huge elevation and you've got a backpack on and that backpack is heavy. When you come up to the steep incline, your brain will actually make the incline look steeper than it actually is. Mm. And it does yep. that so that you understand physically that you are going to have to put in more physical effort to make it up that incline. Your, your mind is doing you a favor because your mind is in cahoots with your body and your spirit to make sure that you survive the present moment, right? So this mm -hmm. is how your mind is in cahoots with that. Your brain is in cahoots with that. So when I say psycho-spiritual, well, when you look at the systems that you have to operate within, if they are constantly 
violent, if they are constantly betraying you, if they are saying they are about this, but they actually enact this type of inequity upon you, how much is your spirit thinking that is, you know, going to have to put out energy? How much is your brain thinking you got to put out energy in order to be able to get up that incline? It's yeah. exhausting. The yeah. burnout is not a coincidence. It actually is designed. And we don't talk enough within our culture about burnout as a byproduct of betrayal, but it is. And you can have systemic betrayal. You can have institutional betrayal. You can have family betrayal. You can have self-betrayal, Yeah. right? It's like, so all of that violence that gets internalized, you have to start right. kind of asking yourself again, where are your opportunities for love? And I focus a lot on the systems because I don't, I don't think that it's a service to us individually or within families, within neighborhoods or collectively as a whole, as a whole human species to have systems that leave so many people concentrated in desperation. That's not good for us. Right. If you look at it nationally, it's a national security risk. You know, if you look at it in relation to how will we ever become interstellar, you know, like I, I'm on a, a you know, a panel for NASA in relation to like thinking through certain things in relation to uh, inclusion and the future. And one of the things that we have to think about is how going out into space, what effect that will have on our bodies. You know, uh, but. We can't, how are we going to get to that fully if we don't even acknowledge how the systems, the environments around us are affecting our bodies right now, are right. affecting our physical health, affecting, uh, you know, the, the cholesterol in our bodies, right? What's going on with our cardiovascular systems? What's going on with, why are you not sleeping at night? Is it because of the environment that you're in? And when you don't have spaciousness around that, it's really hard to get to that, you know, meditating under a bodhisattva tree in lotus position because you don't know where your next meal is coming from. Let me ask you something completely out of left field. Because I sit here and I, I look at you and I hate it when people say, when I look at another person of a different race, I don't see color. Come on, like we all do. I mean, right? We see that we're different. It's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay. It's okay. I, I, but I see you, and I see, I see this beautiful, beautiful energy and spirit and soul that's emanating love and everything that you do. I can just see it. I feel it. How do we, how do we shift society? Because uh, honestly, it blows my mind to hear what you what you described the fairies. It blows my mind to hear that. Like I I grew up in Ohio. I didn't see that ever. Like I didn't like that. Just wasn't part of anything I ever saw. And I have to be How clear, Ken. This was the eighties. <laughs> okay, this wasn't the seven, the sixties, or the fifties, or the forties. This was the nineteen eighties when that happened. Wow, that just blows my mind. So, and I, I remember I lived in Atlanta in in Kennesaw, and um, long time ago, thirty years ago, and mm -hmm. and I I went out on a sales call for this company. And I saw a gas station out in the middle of nowhere that had that 
exact the segregated bathrooms mm-hmm. and i and this was in 1990 maybe mm-hmm. I, I 80 yeah 90 91 and mm-hmm. i thought i remember seeing that thinking what are, are you serious that that's insane to me but like like so how do we change that in our society how do we and, and again this is me asking your opinion how do we have a shift in our society away from this this uh, it makes me want to start swearing which i won't but how do we how do we get rid of this this is insane to me it's insane well ken in full disclosure i have kept myself from swearing this entire <laughs> way to go joy good job you did it you did it. I was like, just in case I don't want him to, you know, put it on YouTube without YouTube coming after you for the profanity, you know, type of thing. No, but, they, um, they would never, but it's, it's, we're on, we're on nine or 10 different platforms live right now. So, um, but yeah, I mean, how do we, how do we get, I don't know that we can get rid of racism, but at least like, like, oh my God, it just blows my mind. I don't even know how to ask the question. So, you know, I will, I will say this. I think that uh, one thing I will recommend anybody who is willing to read likes books, check out Isabel Wilkerson's book uh, that it basically talks about cast. And that's the title of this cast, C-A-S-T-E, as in cast systems. That oh. If you're somewhat familiar with, you know, world history, world views, you probably think about caste in relation to India, right? Uh, but Isabel Wilkerson actually talks about how caste is the fundamental thing that got uh, put into a lot of the systems of thought, even right here in the United States. And we can talk about, you know, all these isms, but they're all an avatar of something else which is cast, right? Mm -hmm. And everybody has an idea about it and knows that it's having some impact on them and on their body and how they move through the world, whether they have vocabulary around it or not. And this is one of the reasons why you even will hear people be like, you know, parents will say to their kids, don't don't hang out with that kid. Don't play over there. Don't, Don't get too close to this or close to that because you know it's such a slippery slope of safety. And caste, a lot of times, is uh, is measurable in your proximity to safety. How safe do you get to be? And I think if we start talking about caste and what we actually want to co-create together, you know, with that kind of knowledge, we will start to have the shift that we are talking about. Ava DuVernay actually just did a movie based on the book called Origin. It's out in theaters right now. Um, and also too, I will say when you come across people who are doing, you know, like work in their chosen lane and you like what they're doing, amplify their voice. I choose media, right? Like can, you're choosing media in a lot of ways. This isn't the only thing that you do, but you're using media as a change agent, right? So you can use any of the primary social institutions to impact, leave a legacy, Right. Like leave that thing that that energy that you want to have, that you want future generations to evoke and call upon when you are no longer here. So that is the way that I think about it, is that like support that 
realize that you don't have to do everything yourself. Like you, this is how you get exhausted too. You try to spread yourself too thin. If yeah. you feel, you know, connected to one particular lane of change, dig down into that lane. Like I said, I chose media, but I still support people that are working in lots of different spheres of things within the law, but I'm not in the law, <laughs> you know, right. like I'm right. in media. But right. I can think about how we tell stories about lawyers and how we tell stories about law on screen and what that looks like. And that is supportive to uh, the people that are working for change within the you know legal system. So yeah. you don't have to be everywhere with everything. We do get to do this as a collective and kind of keeping that in mind, holding that at your heart. Um, and, and, and looking for that information. I think that's part of how we shift this beyond the, the polarized ways that a lot of the media is trying to talk to us about these things. Wow. What a beautiful, beautiful answer. Joy, what's your, is there a website everybody can go find out more about you and follow you and all of that? Yes, there is. Um, is it? It's you. You might not ever forget it once I say it to you. Do it in public. dot com. So <laughs> I that's public. all. Yes, that's all okay. of your social media too, right? Oh, my social media is do it in public. Yeah, um, and you can easily find me. You know like that way. Uh, and you, and again, just spell my last name correctly. Is D O N N E L L not an O at the beginning or an L at the end. <laughs> you know? yeah. Wow. 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 Joy, you're amazing. And, um, I, I, I love what you're doing. And, and so everybody watching, I'm going to do an Amazon live with joy and help her sell some of her books. My wife has been on here the entire time and she's, she's a PR person as well. She's been, she's a marketing PR. She's, yeah, you guys would get along. You would have very great conversations that I would not like to participate in. Um, so <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. So listen, Joy, you are a joy to be around. And, and um, it's been my honor and pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you. Oh. Thank you, Ken. It's been a pleasure to chop it up with you. I'm so glad we got to talk and I'm becoming a big fan of what you're doing too. So thank you for thank having you. me on the show and sharing space this way. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody go to doitinpublic.com. Wow. Um, and check out everything Joy's got going on. Get her books. Follow her on all the socials. And... Um, yeah, let's just bring bring joy a lot of attention and in, in, in what she's doing. So thank you for being on. I'm going to end the live stream now, but if you would stay with me and we'll chat for a minute. But thank you so much. God bless you. And I appreciate your time today. Thank you.